My father was an airline pilot. My mother was a dental hygienist. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. When I was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old, my, my grandfather gave me a stock certificate and he was famous for every Christmas giving us cash in an envelope. I remember it vividly because I was so disappointed not to receive my cash and instead received a piece of paper that was a stock certificate. Obviously, in hindsight, it was a tremendous gift. It uh, helped me buy my first home, but he also used it as a tool to, to teach me about money and investing and finance. I think I always remember that as like the starting point. No one said it would be easy, but when Taylor Schulte decided to bet on himself, he quickly ran into challenges that many fresh business entrepreneurs realize. Join us to hear how Taylor navigated key decisions and how he resolved a few missteps along the way. Welcome to the Advisor Growth Journey, an immersive podcast that breaks down real independent financial advisor stories about overcoming obstacles, embracing failure, and finding the strength to press forward. From building an independent firm to making key business decisions to navigating an acquisition, sale, or succession plan, the Advisor Growth Journey shares insights based upon real advisor scenarios, allowing you to confidently chart your course. Meet Taylor Schulte, financial planner, industry innovator, 40 under 40 mainstay. Today at 37, the San Diego native is the prototype of what the future of the RIA industry looks like. But as a student at the University of Arizona less than two decades ago, he was just a kid with a stock certificate who knew he wanted to work in finance. I didn't know what the career path of a financial advisor looked like. In fact, I didn't know what a financial advisor really did on a day-to-day -day basis. I had one internship in college. I got very little experience doing that. I think they stuck me in a, a file room uh, most of the time. I also didn't know that there was such thing as working as an independent financial advisor or that there was registered investment advisors out there. Taylor began his career as a financial advisor in 2007, working like many young advisors at a wirehouse. Just really thrown right into the fire. You know, you spend a couple of months getting your licenses and they give you a desk and a phone and a sales quota and you go to town. And me just being so naive, I think at the time, really worked in my favor. I just didn't know what bringing in $15 million in two years really meant. It was like, I've got a job, I've got a salary, uh, I've got health insurance, uh, I've got you know, a nice cubicle. I, you know, I was pretty excited about it. But pumping inside of him was his grandfather's entrepreneurial blood. I always knew that I wanted to do something more. And I recall, I, I believe it was like 2011, 2012, uh, when I read a, a blog post by Michael Kitsis talking about the independent world. And it really just spoke to me. And I really started to understand that there are different paths in this career uh, as a financial advisor. I had this craving for doing something a little bit different. Taylor is not alone. According to Scott Leake of FP Transitions, more wirehouse advisors are transitioning to independence each year. The data shows that there's a lot more new RIAs being formed every year. I think the number is something like 4,000 new independent RIAs each year. So it's clear the independent RIA model is superior to the wirehouse model. And while this has been going on for decades, I think we saw two significant events that really accelerated it in the last 10, 20 years. So number one, you look back on the financial crisis, that was a really important moment in the growing distrust of Wall Street uh, among consumers. And then secondly, when we had the DOL making an effort to implement the fiduciary rule, it became really public discourse. I think we saw more consumers really understand what it means to have a fiduciary as their advisor. So it made it more common language among retail investors. And that 
resonated with brokers too. They started to hear it. They started to hear the demands of more aware consumers. But despite more advisors going this route, it's still a new venture allowing fears, worries, and concerns to creep in. The biggest worry was my clients leaving me, that, that they might not trust a, a no-name independent firm. But really, in hindsight, as I look back, I think the financial, financial aspect really should want to been one of my bigger worries. I think I should have spent more time on the financials and really understanding what it meant to be the owner of a business and being the CEO of a business and not just being a financial advisor employee of another firm. Andre Moore of Integrated Partners said Taylor is not alone. Most advisors tend to worry about the wrong things when they become an independent CEO of their own business. Worrying is a key part to going independent. And while we do say advisors focus sometimes on the wrong things, maybe they're talking to us about the design of their coffee mugs instead of talking to us about their fee strategy, um, we do tend to say worrying is important because you're making a big shift in your business. And if you don't worry, then you probably are not paying enough attention to all the different components of what goes into going independent. However, if you don't have a good partner or somebody to talk to, people to ask questions to, then the worrying can be overwhelming because there are so many different things to focus on. When Taylor launched Defined Financial in 2014, Taylor said he enjoyed the early days. I, I kind of remember this this honeymoon phase, right? Where you've got like your own business now and you get to make your own decisions. And I just remember, you know, like anybody taking ownership of a project, you just kind of have this like newfound energy over it. It was just the most amazing thing in the world to now own my own thing and hang my own flag and be able to make my own decisions. And again, start to think outside the box and get more creative. I had so much fun you know, naming the firm and uh, building the website and coming up with fonts and colors. I'm not saying this is, these are the things that you should be focused on, but I just remember like really enjoying that part of it. But launching a new business wasn't without its challenges. As an independent advisor and a firm owner, there were a lot of hurdles that, that caught me off guard. One is, and I, I love to highlight this because I wish somebody would have sat me down and coached me through it, you know, as I made my decision here. But there is a giant difference between being a business owner and a CEO and being a financial planner all day long. Those are two very, very different things. And nobody really spelled that out for me. I didn't understand the difference of being that business owner versus a financial planner. But you know, you, you can't do both for forever. You're going to hit a point where being CEO and business owner, being financial planner kind of collide and you have to make a decision. You know, wh Which role are you going to take on? And that's really ultimately what happened is uh, I I was hitting a, a growth barrier. I, I, I couldn't grow. I, I told my wife one day, like, I don't know how I'm going to take on another client right now because I'm, I'm working around the clock. I'm, I'm I'm managing this business, trying to keep it afloat, also trying to take care of my clients, also trying to bring on new clients. Like, you're just wearing too many hats, and it's not possible. Taylor's right. Advisors hit a growth barrier when they're trying to play both business CEO and financial advisors. Moore says the secret to breaking through that growth barrier is delegation. Advisors as CEOs should be focusing on the big picture, the vision of the organization, where they're going, and the service they want to provide the clients, but they don't need to be doing all of the underlying things. So the importance to protecting your time is finding people that you can trust to then take your vision and make it a reality, but not have to worry about the nuances that go into making your vision a reality.
As for Taylor, he got over his growth barrier by taking a step back so he could eventually take two huge leaps forward. The analogy that I use is when you hire a new golf instructor, you often go backwards before you go forwards. Your game usually kind of suffers in the beginning, and then ultimately you end up in a better place. Your, your game improves. And that was the same experience that I had hitting this growth barrier. I needed to go backwards, clean some things up before I could really propel forward again. One of those things was getting crystal clear on who I was going to do my best work for. At the time, I was trying to work with everybody. Again, anybody with money that was willing to hire me, I would take them on as a client. This meant losing revenue for you know 18 months and going backwards uh, before going forward again. Taylor admits when he launched, he struggled with time management. Again, now you have all the flexibility and freedom in the world to do whatever you want. You've got this blank slate. You walk into the office, there's nobody looking over you, there's nobody telling you what to do. And I know there was a lot of time wasted just kind of playing office day to day, you know, hour by hour in the office. I didn't have accountability. I didn't have a senior advisor kind of watching over me. Felt like I was on an island. The desert island feeling is common for young independent RIAs. We always hear in the industry that being a financial advisor is lonely. When you go independent, it tends to get a little bit lonelier because if you're at a warehouse, you're used to walking into a big office, you see a bunch of people that you can connect with. But when you go independent and you start your own business, sometimes you're by yourself in your own office space or at home. So what's really important is community to find a group of people. If you're not partnering with an RAA that has that kind of support network for yourself, find a group of advisors, a study group or business coaching or somebody that you can communicate with. Because oftentimes we find advisors on their desert island kind of going down this black hole of researching and trying to figure out and testing different things where you never get out of the minutia of the business because you're always kind of researching and trying to change things up within the business. So finding people that can give you truly honest feedback. And sometimes we hear people who say, oh, I've got a great network of other business owners. That's great, but other business owners don't understand the nuances of our industry. So it's really important to try to find a group that you can communicate with so you don't feel so lonely. It took a lot of discipline for Taylor to get off his desert island. I committed to every single week having breakfast, coffee, lunch, beer after work, whatever it was, one time per week, meeting with another financial advisor to learn from them. And that was my way of kind of just getting outside my little box and learning from other successful advisors. Now, that only gets you so far because, as you all know, we, we all love consuming information and learning things, but what do you do with that information, right? You got to take action to actually see change here. And so I started to uh, think about forming you know, a mastermind group and, and having a smaller group of advisors around me that could help hold me accountable. Uh, I also uh, joined a coaching program uh, to help uh, learn and put some of these pieces together. This inspired Taylor to work with Justin Castelli to launch the advisor growth community. The AGC has evolved into the industry's largest online community for financial advisors dedicated to growing personally and professionally alongside their peers. There are so many advisors like myself who uh, feel like they're on an island and they want to collaborate with their peers. They don't view other financial advisors as competitors. They have this abundance mentality and they want to help and, and collaborate with their peers. And so uh, Justin Castelli and I started the AGC to to kind of accomplish 
again, more efficiently what I was doing, me driving two hours to have lunch with an advisor. Well, now we can do it all online and we can meet with people virtually and we can communicate in a private space. And so that's been huge for me as well uh, to bring together, you know, 160, 170 advisors, like-minded advisors to help solve that, that loneliness problem as well. One of the early lessons Taylor learned from his community of advisors how to set boundaries. Your neurologist is not going to drive to your house to, to meet with you. I wanted to be viewed as a professional. I better act like a professional. And so I put together uh, client engagement standards that documented these, uh, these new boundaries that I would only meet with clients on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays between certain times. That allowed me Mondays to prepare for the week so I could be really present with my clients during those meetings and Fridays to download and get ready for the next week. I was no longer driving to clients' homes. They could meet with me virtually or they could come into the office. And so I started to create these boundaries, which again, helped with time management, but more importantly, truly helped me do much better work for my clients. Advisors like Taylor really struggle when it comes to setting boundaries and managing their time, according to Moore. Advisors struggle with time management, in my opinion, for two reasons. One, it's because they feel like they're the only person who can do what they need to do. And two, because they have nobody structuring what they do anymore, right? So unless advisors really focus on having an ideal week and structure how and when they do everything, you can tend to get lost in the whirlwind of what's going on. Sometimes advisors tend to lean towards what we call the whirlwind, focusing on that email that just came in or you know a client issue that maybe somebody else should be handling, but you see it, so you handle it in advance of your team handling it. So ensuring that you're really structuring your weeks to kind of those ideal weeks where you're building in the time, you're focusing on client meetings, you're prepping for client meetings, you're working on the business researching new tools, techniques, how we can get better innovations, things like that, learning from other individual industry professionals is important. But it's also important to set aside the time for things that are just going to blow up, you know? So we really work with advisors to structure free days, buffer days, work days where they're focusing on their businesses, but also giving them the ability to you know, innovate and do other things that they want to do. The next step of the journey for Taylor hiring, but again, he stumbled. I needed support. I couldn't do this alone. And so hiring became really, really important. Again, that's a challenge too, because that eats into your revenue and you never feel like you can really afford to hire. And that was a big hurdle for me to get over was, uh, you know, who am I going to hire? How am I going to find them? How am I going to, you know, you know, pay for them. Uh, and, and now I'm going to be a, a manager of that person. Nobody's ever taught me how to, to manage people. I think this is a common mistake uh, from firm owners or new financial planners. My first hire uh, was another financial planner. I thought that I needed help behind the scenes with financial planning work. I felt like the financial planning work was dragging me down and I needed help and support from somebody else who could contribute and, and help with some of that financial planning work. In reality, what I really needed help with was uh, managing client relationships and managing the office, managing calendars and schedules. I needed a uh, an office manager. And so I kind of hired incorrectly out of the gates. Uh, I hired another financial planner and not only you know were they costly, but it didn't really help me solve my problem. Hiring is hard, but staffing in the proper order is even more difficult, Mr. Leek said. 
This is where data can really be informative. So we know that on average, licensed employees tend to reach capacity somewhere between 100 and 150 clients apiece. Around 80% capacity is when is the right time to bring in someone new. If you wait until you're at capacity, you've got no time to train them. So you need to hire before you're at full capacity. You're going to need time to find the right person. And right now with the talent shortage that we have, it's even more important to give yourself time to do that. And when it comes to determining who is the right person to bring in next, I would say start tracking your time and how you're allocating it and figure out what is it I'm spending too much time doing that I shouldn't be doing. And that'll help guide, should this be a support person or should this be you know, another advisor? You can certainly work with a company like FP Transitions as well, though. We can look at your data and we can even probably tell you based on what your current staffing looks like, what is the next right position to hire for. I would say this, the point is simply this, make sure you're planning first and then you hire advisors to support the plan, not the other way around. After that initial hiring misstep, Taylor said he hired an amazing office manager who is now the glue of his firm. Today, Taylor has a team of three people. Collectively, his firm manages $150 million in assets and is working hard to get to $3 million in revenue annually. For the first time in my career, and if I'm doing my math correctly, it's about 15 years in, in this profession. For the first time in my career, I'd say a year and a half ago, I felt like I could finally breathe. Like I felt like, okay, I'm gonna make it. <laughs> you know, like this firm is gonna make it. I was actually talking to to Michael Kitsis a couple of weeks ago about this and, and sharing this with him. And I I just felt like, man, it took me a really long time to get to this point to feel like I can breathe. I'm not making millions of dollars. Like I haven't made it by any means, but like I can breathe. I know I can pay my mortgage. I know, heck, if a few clients left me tomorrow, we're going to be okay type thing. And uh, it just, I, you know, it's kind of reflecting like, man, it, it, I feel like it took me so long to get here. Like, I feel like I made so many mistakes along the way that if I just would have avoided those mistakes, I could have gotten to this place earlier. Uh, yes, today I feel like I can breathe. I feel like the business is much more predictable. I feel like it is a well-oiled machine. Thank you for listening to the Advisor Growth Journey Podcast. This podcast is produced by Proudmouth and directed by Jess Flynn of FP Transitions and Matt Ackerman of Integrated Partners. We hope today's story provided insights to serve you on your wealth management journey. Even the most profitable and well-known advisors have faced difficult decisions and made numerous course corrections before hitting their stride. If you have a story you'd like to share with other advisors, please visit advisorgrowthjourney.com and message our team. In the meantime, click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member of FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.